Welcome to Elevate Health Podcast, sponsored by Elevate Health of Pierce County, Washington, and One Pierce Community Resiliency Fund, a subsidiary of Elevate Health. This episode features a community care conversation hosted by licensed clinical social worker and therapist Kim Bjorn, Elevate Health's Director of Clinical Integration and Transformation. Today's topic focuses on innovative and alternative approaches to behavioral health issues. Kim's guests are Jennifer Sorensen and Tracy Krieg, both of whom work for Comprehensive Life Resources, a private nonprofit behavioral health agency in Pierce County, Washington. Now, here's our host, Kim Bjorn. Hello, I'm Kim Bjorn, the host for this episode of Elevate Health's Community Care Conversations podcast. And our guests today are Jennifer Sorensen and Tracy Krieg, both who are with Comprehensive Life Resources. And I'm so excited to have you both here because I'm a fan of your program. Um, it's it's known as MSERP, but it's called the Mobile Community Intervention Response Team. And because of my role in working with firefighters and first responders, it's been something I've really been trying to promote. And I really thought it would be great to have you come and talk to the community so that they can learn about it. Um, so what is MSERP? You know, and I think that's the first thing we mm-hmm. should talk about. And then, like, how long has it been in service? You know, who do you serve? That kind of thing. Tell me all about it. Yeah, so um, MCERT has been in the work since 2017. Um, it was a collaborative partnership with Central Pierce Fire and Pierce County Human Services and then Comprehensive Life Resources. And it started out as a pilot program to work with Central Pierce Fire to figure out why is there such um, a high utilization of certain people with EMS? Um, What is the driving force behind that? And how do we help um, maybe figure out a way to fix that or help with that? So it started out with just a few of us um, working with them. And since then, we've grown, you know, throughout all of Pierce County. And it's a multidisciplinary team of um, professionals. We have um, MHPs, uh, mental health professionals, case managers, registered nurses. Um, we have a psychiatric RMP who can prescribe um, psychiatric medications for people with mental health um, disorders. And what we do is we essentially... Um, roll around together and see people in their homes and figure out what the problem is or what the, the what how do we f- figure out a solution in helping them um, lower their their ED visits, their transports, or their calls to 911. So not only do we work with the fire departments, we also work with um, the designated crisis responders, our Pierce County Sheriff co-responders. Um, we also work with um the so the the uh, emergency rooms the social workers so anyone that has seen repeated utilization of high 911 and we um basically every case is different there are some similarities but we have about 50% physical health geriatric cognitive decline and we have about 50% behavioral health substance use issues Okay, well, being that I was a social worker in the hospital, 
We definitely had um, folks that we saw on a regular basis. So um, how, what does the team do to engage somebody? Um, because sometimes folks are living in their current situation because of fear of, of change or other things. So how do they engage? Well, as soon as we assign a case to a team, um, the first thing they're going to do is a, a try to make attempt to make a phone call right mm -hmm. away. Um, as you know, people sometimes don't answer their phone when mm -hmm. they don't recognize the number. So we get, you know, about 50% of the time people will pick up their phone. But the goal of that conversation is really to keep it very casual and non-intimidating, you know, saying something like, um, this is so-and-so from MSERP. We work hand-in-hand -hand with emergency services in Pierce County. Uh, maybe Deputy Smith was at your house last night and they saw some things that they thought maybe you could use our help, help with. Did mm -hmm. they discuss this? Did they discuss our program with you? And whether they say yes or no, that kind of leads us into, you know, explaining who we are and what we do. Once again, focusing on their needs and not, you know, the fact that they're calling 911 too mm -hmm. much or anything like that. Um, if we aren't having any luck getting people by phone, we will go out to the house and we'll leave a business card, a flyer, uh, maybe a little note, and then follow that up with a phone call. Like, hey, we were out at your house. Sorry, we missed you. You know, we'd really like to talk to you, work with you, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And then we also have some um, discretionary funds. So once we get in the door, we can use that for engagement a little bit. If we see an immediate need, sometimes we can, like, buy some groceries or fix something that's broken in the house, mm -hmm. and that helps too. Yeah, I was going to say, if you can come in and do an immediate need, it yeah. probably starts to build that oh, you're not here to take me away from my home. You're yeah. not here to do something that I don't want you to do. Because I would I would assume that that is probably one of the biggest barriers of people fearing that they're going to be taking it out of their home. Yeah, definitely. Um, so how often will somebody continue to try to engage with a person, with one of your staff would engage with a person before you're like, boy... This is just, it's not going to happen this time. Well, we're, we are pretty, our staff is pretty skilled at engagement. Mm -hmm. They don't give up easily. So say, for example, on that first phone call, by the time the phone call's over, the goal is to schedule an appointment to go see them out in their house in the next few days. But if by the end of the phone call, they're, they're kind of declining, we just keep it light and say, you know, we understand, but is it okay if we call back in a few days and, um, and check in on you? And usually they'll say yes. And then that phone call might, you know, lead to another three days, another phone call. And eventually we have built a relationship with them. And so so we're pretty persistent. Um, I I don't know, Tracy, mm -hmm. what would you say? Like it's more like a time frame. Like if we've been attempting this for a month and nothing's yeah. happening, we'd probably. Until they really are sort of like very adamant, like don't come back to my house, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll sort of try to engage and we and try to find the buy-in, you know, mm -hmm. through what do they, what would they how could we um, engage with them in the moment, like with, you know, do you need groceries, those kind of things. And um, what that's kind of the beauty of MSERT too, that we don't really have restrictions around that. We don't have to make them sign anything mm. or agree to anything. So our staff can keep going back and keep trying to engage with them um, until we can hopefully build a relationship and, and that really helps. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can we can try that. Sometimes we'll try that for several months and then maybe stop for a while. And then we'll hear from the fire department and they'll be like, hey, we just keep going out there every week. And mm -hmm. then we'll say, okay, well, we'll try again. And then we'll try again. And then, um, or sometimes we might go out there with, um, you know, their paramedicine person or that's somebody. That's what I was going to ask. Yes. Yeah. And we'll work, you know, in partnership with them. And that's a really great relationship. And we'll go out with them and we'll meet with that person. And so, you know, we try all sorts of different 
ways to, mm-hmm. to formulate a relationship. That's great. Do you get mainly your referrals from the front line or do you ever have people from the community that call directly to you going, hey, my Aunt Betty, she mm-hmm. really is struggling. She won't let us in the house. And um, boy, I heard your podcast and and I think that you're the perfect service. <laughs> that it, ever happened? Yeah, we do. We do get that. Ideally, we get, you know, all of our referrals from those emergency mm-hmm. services like EMS, fire, uh, emergency room, social work, that kind of stuff, because we kind of need those statistics like calls and transport numbers. That's kind of fuels our program. Mm-hmm. But we do get other referrals from, you know, like other agencies and resources in the community, APS and others. Um, but yes, every once in a while, one of our clients will tell their neighbor or their relative, you know, this is a really great team and they'll, they'll give them their mm-hmm. number. And so we do get those calls. Um, and we have taken on a few, but technically they don't really meet our criteria, so we probably yeah. shouldn't. We have to limit that a lot. We The, the need is so great mm-hmm. that if we opened it up, we would we would be we would yeah. dra- we would drown in referrals. Yes, essentially. You would. Yeah. So we we really have to you know have certain conditions, and one of those is um, you know high high utilization mm-hmm. or really potential high utilization and working in partnership with our you know, the people in the community, professionals in the community mm-hmm. that can really, you know, give us those those referrals and give us some insight on what mm-hmm. they've seen. Mm-hmm. When you have somebody who's, who's use, using services often and they end up in the emergency department, do you ever go directly to the emergency department to try to form that initial connection? Yeah, definitely. Okay, good. That's part of, that's definitely some, one of the things that we do, yeah. It, and then the hours of services that your organization, because I'm assuming at two in the morning, you're not going to bring out one of your caseworkers to the ER. No. So what are the, your hours that you generally work? We're, we're kind of just business hours, Monday mm-hmm. through Friday, you know, eight to five thirty. I think is about when we stop answering the phone, but we do have a confidential um, voicemail. And so we get a lot of referrals during the night and mm-hmm. people just know to leave the details on there and then we'll call them back in the morning. Great. Our staff will, if they already have a client they're working with, then their their hours will adjust accordingly to what that client needs. So there are times when they might be stuck at the, you know, emergency room late mm-hmm. or those kind of things. Um, but we typically try to stay within those hours. We don't do any. Um, we're, we're not a crisis team, which we right. really like to try to reiterate to to people. So we really try to stay within the the parameters of the Monday mm-hmm. through Friday. That makes sense. Your community intervention. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Correct. Um, so we talked a few barriers, but what would be some, what are you, what barriers are you seeing currently that really is impacting your ability to maybe help somebody or move them to a more wellness state? Well, on our end, we have very few barriers. That's one of the things that I really appreciate about this program, love mm-hmm. about this program. But um, so, but on our end, our barriers for working, our barriers for working with clients would be them meeting our criteria. Yeah. Um, the barriers that we're seeing with clients, usually it's just um, they're not at a place yet to accept help or, re- or admit that they need help. Maybe they're too proud to accept help or they don't, maybe they have dementia and don't understand mm-hmm. kind of what's going on. Maybe they have mental illness and don't have insight into their illness. And so that's, that's the thing that we run up against the most is just people um, just not ready to receive services for whatever whatever reason. I think we see a lot of 
you know, systemic barriers that we all see in this mm-hmm. business. You know, we don't, we have people that we see who, for instance, need to be, need, you know, more extensive, intensive mental health care. They need to be detained and are not detainable. And, um, you know, we can't help them because of that reason. Or um, we see a lot of barriers around our geriatric populations. It may take us, you know, months um, to get the help that somebody needs to get into an adult family home. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, um, that's really difficult for our staff because we see the problems and we have the staff to help to help do the do the work to help them get where they need to do, but then there's no openings and or we can't get them an assessment um, for months, you know, down the road and and those things are very difficult mm-hmm. um, for for our staff to to really have to to try to to deal with and um, so so but those are you know those are those are big issues that we're all that we're all dealing with. be back with more in just a moment. Elevate Health podcast is a new series produced by Elevate Health of Pierce County, Washington. Elevate Health's mission is to build and drive community coalitions that result in better and equitable health care for all in Washington State and beyond. For more information, visit us at elevatehealth.org. So talking about data, you know, what numbers are you looking at that you're actually seeing and that you're actually making interventions with that you're seeing positive outcomes? Well, we see um, right now we see approximately around 400 people a year is what we see. We carry around 120 or so at at any given time Mm -hmm. that kind of fluctuates. COVID has has, um, made some differences in those. We were seeing less people, but having them longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and when COVID was happening, we were having to be more careful about going into people's homes. Um, but we were also one of the, the almost one one of the only mm-hmm. mobile programs or programs really in, in general that was going to people's homes still and seeing people. So we had a lot of people who were really isolated who were who were not getting any services, mm-hmm. and we didn't really want to take that away and, and we wanted to give them that. So, um, so that reduced our numbers, but, um, that's about where we're at. Mm-hmm. We see about, I think, um, in terms of our last data, we had, um, a 70%, um, decrease in calls and approximately 63%, um, decrease in our transports mm-hmm. for, um, at the time of their departure, um, from the program. So we never, um, we never discharge someone from our program until their, their transports are down, um, or their calls are down or Mm -hmm. their, you know, or their ED visits are down. That's a huge part of, um, of how we determine when their discharge is. And that's one of the things that's great about MSERT is we can keep a person for two weeks or we can keep a person for a year. Mm Um, and and we try to not discharge them until they're at a place that, that those are down. Because that's really the goal of IMSR, right, is to decrease that mm-hmm. with the goal of decreasing the immense cost that goes along with that. Um, because if, if um, you look at the statistics around, um, you know, Medicaid and cost around emergency room visits, yeah, um, 80% of 
um, or 20% of Medicaid users are utilizing 80% of the emergency mm-hmm. dollars. Yep. And that's huge, right? Yes. So if you can, if we can tackle, you know, those 20% that are these huge utilizers, we can really save, you know, a lot of money there. Yeah. And really meet people where they're living instead of them having to go outside their home to get services, which most people want to stay in their spot. And that's probably why they call 911 because they know, oh, John works on Thursdays. So I want to, I really like John. He's been out of my house for a few times. I want to call 911 and have them come see me. And, and it is mm-hmm. about relation and that isolation and, and connection. So I have to applaud your staff being open to going out during a time when a lot of people had fear and wanted to work remotely. Um, I know that in the health field currently, we have people that are still wanting to stay remote and and trying to get people back into the field has been tricky. So um, it says a lot about your team. Uh, those of us who work in the health field, um, we often re- refer to social determinants of health. Um, for listeners who may not know what social determinants of health are m- most evident in our community, which ones do you encounter the most? So what are those particular things? Is it lack of food, la- you know, what what are those things? So, yeah, I think um, when you're talking about social determinants of health, I think obviously number one is going to be poverty. Yes. Um, you know, I think um, poverty is, you know, we the, the majority of the people that we see are low income. Mm-hmm. Um, they're Medicaid or Medicare recipients. Mm-hmm. Um, we do occasionally see people who are on, are on the upper scale, middle class or upper class, um, but it's far and few be- between. And I think when you're looking at people that are in poverty, they are living in um, substandard housing. They haven't had good medical care. So they're, so if you're looking at people who have a lot of phys- physical health issues, a lot of comorbidity, um, it's because of poverty. They haven't had good care. Um, you also, one of the things we noticed when we first, when this program first started in 2017, the area that we were covering was, you know, Spanaway Parkland, those areas, very rural areas. Mm-hmm. We were seeing people, we'd never seen anything like it, like, and I'm sure other people have, but, but um, just out in the middle of nowhere, people living in, you know, a mobile home that the roof was caving in and there was no electricity mm-hmm. and water. And they were, it was amazing the the level of poverty that we, that we saw. I had, I mean, I just, I really had no idea how mm-hmm. bad it was. And we still see that. And, and though, and that's generational, mm-hmm. you know, and people are living in, um, it's getting worse. And the fact that the rent is going up. People are still living on fixed social security and they can't afford to move and they can't afford to get their, their homes fixed. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think that's a huge one, Mm -hmm. um, you know, around that. I'm not sure what, what you think, Jen, around other ideas around Mm. what we see. Just such a, such a mixed bag. I mean, the, the, the clients that we work with have got so many things in their, you know, going on mm-hmm. in their lives that it's, you know, usually a combination of many of those. So speaking of funding, like, like, let's say you, you do your, your team finds somebody who really has a, like a, a ceiling com- coming in or no plumbing, like there's no running water. How many resources are you able to use to help that person stay in their space versus having to move them out? Are you able to do that? 
we have so if we if if we get clients sometimes that are in homes that look like they should you know be destroyed, mm-hmm. but obviously we don't want to do that because right. then they'd be homeless. So if it's if it's not so bad, sometimes we can make some repairs and make it livable. But usually the long term goal, if the client of course is in agreement, is mm-hmm. to is to move to another location, and then it would depend on. Are they, you know, geriatric and mm-hmm. maybe want to go to assisted living or do they want to go and live with a relative, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, but um, sometimes what we think is unlivable conditions is not so much for the client that they're, you know, they're used to it and they're happy there and we have to respect that mm-hmm. too. But we do see some pretty bad places. Yeah, It's kind of a, it's, it, it's you know, it's sort of a careful balance. Like you don't, you have to be careful about, you know, how much money you spend, mm-hmm. you know, because you have to be aware of that and how much money you have for, for people. But, um, and you also don't want to keep a person at a place where maybe it's not the best scenario for them if there's a lot of safety, a lot of self-neglect. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're talking about maybe with somebody who has severe cognitive decline or, or severe medical issues, or maybe their mental health is so, they're so decompensated mm-hmm. that they're, that they cannot care for themselves. Mm-hmm. Those are all factors you have to look at um, in terms of keeping somebody maybe in their home. Um, but like Jen said, you also have to look at you know, respecting that person and where they're at and their rights as well. So we always look at, at all of those things mm-hmm. and have discussions about that and look at, you know, what's, what's in the best interest of the client, but also what, how do we manage it and, mm-hmm. and what's best for them, but also, um, you know, how do we respect them mm-hmm. through all of that as well? Exactly. Because what we perceive as a poor living situation, somebody may feel very comfortable in, and they are making a sound, you know, a choice that's for them, then they have capacity to make that choice. I think working in healthcare, working in a hospital system, that was one of the biggest challenges working with a care team, because they just felt, no, this person can't go back to this place. You need to fix this when the person has every every right to do so if they have the capacity to make those decisions. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I believe it is a fine line and it's probably tricky for your team, but at the same time they're doing it on a regular basis. So they probably see a wide range and are, are getting more comfortable with being in that, un- you know, uncomfortable space. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So what resources are lacking? You know, um, the interventions that you do, and it sounds like you have a lot of options, which is probably very rewarding. Mm-hmm. But what do you think is lacking in our community that could make an impact? So I kind of thought about this. I, I mean, I would say that on paper, there's tons of resources out there. There's, you know, there's something something for, for everyone. I think that with the population that we see, what is lacking is the, the ability for them to access those resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be anything from... Um, well, one that we see all the time, and we struggle with this all the time, is we'll get clients that aren't particularly mobile. Maybe they're bed-bound, mm-hmm. and so they're not seeing a doctor. They're not getting out of the house. And we get in there, and we you know, we get them established with a PCP, maybe get them uh, some insurance or get them set up with paratransit. And um, the, the problem is that we can't get them from the house to the car, from the car to the doctor's door. And most of the transport's systems out there that's kind of their rule is just mm-hmm. door to door and so there's that gap right there um 
that that we struggle with. So that's just one very small example of mm -hmm. our clients being able to access resources. If somebody's wheelchair bound, if they have any stairs at all, they can't get out of their house to yep. go to the doctor. But the other barriers are um, just the fact that the systems are so complicated. There's, you know, there's paperwork, there's referrals, there's, you know, making calls. And most of our clients just don't have the cognitive capacity to, to, mm -hmm. to do that. If we're involved, chances are they're needing a lot of help and they're in fairly, you know, they're in somewhat of a crisis. Mm -hmm. It's mental health. They don't have the organizational skills to be filling out paperwork and making calls and making appointments. And a lot of our clients have dementia or they're just, you know, really chronically ill and just don't feel well. And they mm -hmm. just aren't well enough to take care of that stuff. So MSERT finds themselves, so the case managers find themselves doing a lot of the type of stuff that families would do if families were involved mm -hmm. or friends kind of step in and just help them navigate these systems. So maybe that's lacking, just more support to help those folks. Do. I agree. Having home-based physician teams, nurse practitioners to be able to do that. I know back in the day we had them. I don't know. That might be something we need to research to see if that is available resource in our county. I know we have um, emergency services that now go to people's homes for, you know, but I don't know for ongoing primary care. And that I believe you're right. It is a huge barrier because you can eliminate some of them, but the actual connection can be really hard. Telemedicine can help with certain things, but sometimes you just need to be in person mm -hmm. to get that right, yeah. true assessment. Yeah, our our nurses on our on MSERT do tremendous work. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they are doing injections for mental health mm. um, medications, but they're also doing wound care. And that's impressive. Um, they're doing, you know, medication monitoring and they're checking people um, for their diabetes. I mean, you name it, they've done it. Like mm -hmm. they are, they're just so well-versed and, you know, really amazing at, at the work that they do. Yeah. So that's wonderful for those who qualify for the service. Yes, but you're right. Yeah, it there's would a be pocket so out there that yes. isn't able to. So. I also think, too, it would be so great if there was more services for people around, um, especially with our geriatric or our disabled populations, um, around just more social, um, more, so, more ability to have... Uh, um, the ability to get together and community and, yeah and community thank you there's just none of that and especially mm -hmm. covid really yes. really took that away and there's so much social isolation and mm -hmm. loneliness which leads to so much depression and we've seen a huge uptick in substance use mm -hmm. and alcoholism with our with our elderly populations alcoholism has gone up and it's it's just it's really heartbreaking to see that and they're really it, there really isn't much out there, right? You know, and what was out there, the senior centers and whatnot, have all closed, yeah. and so that's something that I always thought that would just be amazing to have is, you know, a bus or something that drove around and picked people up and took them somewhere. Yeah, I'm having Wendy Morris from Lutheran Social Services coming in November. We're going to talk about dementia and also senior isolation. So, um, I think we'll be diving into that more and talking about what we have in our community and what our gaps are and, and maybe some solutions there. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, so with folks out in the community, um, culturally, you know, I'm sure you're going into different areas where there um, are cultural impacts, families or individuals that 
and come come perspectives are different. How does your team manage that? Well, we have a pretty culturally diverse team, mm-hmm. so that helps. That helps a lot. Um, culturally, you know, MSER's been interesting. When we first started in Spanaway Parkland, um, you know, we had a very ethnically diverse team and almost all of a Caucasian mm-hmm. population. <laughs> and so we almost had, it was very, it was interesting that our, because our team actually had to adjust to that because we had a, a very high, you know, it, it just was, it was almost like reverse mm-hmm. for them that they had, to, they had to almost deal with, you know, sort of inequity and racism, yes. but it was flipped. Yeah. And so that, w- that was a whole challenge that we, that we had to deal with that was sort of new. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the, you know, our staff are amazing and they're just so resilient and they just roll with it and, fi- mm-hmm. and we've just talked about it and we figure things out. Um, but as we go into different um, parts of the county, mm-hmm. then you have then that changes, um, and so we're really fortunate to have such such a different um, you know we have s- such a diverse you know group of people working for us that we really are able to really meet the needs of all of our populations that That's we great. work with, um, and we have you know several um, Spanish speaking. Um, uh, employees mm-hmm. which is also helpful yeah definitely um and so it's it's been it's actually been a really great team great and we just sort of really work work through those things it's awesome we'll be back with more of this community care conversation in just a moment this episode is supported by one pierce community resiliency fund the investment arm of elevate health one Pierce is a nonprofit community investment fund focused on improving whole person health, advancing health equity, and expanding health access for the people of Pierce County. To learn more, visit us at onepierce.org. So what are some success stories? Well, one that we are we're still working with, so it's fairly recent. Um, I'll give you a little bit of the history. So, as when we got this client, she was 72, so a 72-year-old woman who lives with her husband, her daughter, her son, and like six other people that we were never very clear what their relation mm. to the family was. Um, we had a lot of trouble engaging with this family in the beginning because the family seemed to somehow not want the, the mom to get the help, even though she was the client, but they would kind of like run roadblocks, mm. not give her the phone when we called, not let us in when we showed up tell us that she's too sick or she's sleeping. So anyway, had a lot of struggles engaging with this family. But unfortunately, somewhere along the line, her daughter died and then her husband died shortly Mm -hmm. after. So now she's reaching out to us. She's ready to go to assisted living. Um, But of course, she's still still very sick. She was a very high utilizer. She called 113 times in a year. Went to the ED 113 times in one year. and so, of course, she's still she's still very ill because she wasn't getting any care out outside of the home, like the appropriate care. She was using basically EMS for for her care, um, and the emergency room. So, so when she was ready to go to assisted living, we started that process over again, um, which was difficult because she's still in and out of the hospital, and we. Um, they had trouble, uh, home and community services had trouble connecting with her mm-hmm. and getting that assessment done. And we had to keep rescheduling or reapplying. But finally it got done. We met them out at the house. She got assessed. She got her daily rate. And the next barrier was going to be her cat. And we run into this a lot. People yes, do not want to leave their house. Yeah. 
But long story short, the, the, the good news is we found her assisted living that would take her and her cat. Oh, that's she, wonderful. She moved in last week, and she's very happy. Oh, that's <laughs> – and so how long from the start of the relationship to the ending did that take? That was a year. Wow. Yeah, that took a year. So that gives it people an, an understanding that it is – it's a relationship where you just continue to roll with each barrier that comes up and – and it, again, I have to give props to your team. Um, with COVID, is have you seen? I mean, you spoke a little bit about the isolation, but there were were there other barriers that you were surprised about that you weren't expecting with with just the way the state has been for the last year to two years now. Yeah, I think I think isolation was probably the mm-hmm. biggest one. Um, I think lack of staff, um, yeah. a, sh- a shortage of staff, um, which were which we're just facing, <clears throat> excuse me, throughout all of through the mental health agencies, yeah. has been huge. Yeah, you know, just not having enough people, um, and that's hurt for yeah. all of us. Um, yeah, and something that we're running into a lot now is everybody else is short staffed too. So say we're trying to get a home and community assessment, mm-hmm. for example, it just takes a lot longer. Yeah. You know, um, it's hard to get in contact with like DSHS right now. And, you know, the phone call, the return phone calls are just, you know, spread yeah. out and taking longer. So everything just kind of takes a little bit longer because everybody's short staffed. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of bring that up because of the work, the um, workforce shortage and yes, and processes that used to take not as long, it's taking longer. So it gives people an understanding that are listening that even though these resources are here, it's taking some time. And encouraging those of you who might be out there thinking about a career, that behavioral health is something to certainly consider doing um, or anything to do with people and help in the helping professions. There's a need for sure out in our community right now. And um and you get to work with such great teams like MSERT, which I think in a lot of ways, as a social worker that worked in the hospitals, we used to say, I wish there was a team out there that could just pick up the ball that we would identify need because we would have to send people home sometimes that we wish we didn't send home, but because they have the ability to make their decisions, um, they would go home knowing that, oh, they're probably going to be back in a month or less. And to know that there's a team out there that can catch it and create the relationship and continue to work with them, even if it takes them a year um, to, to kind of get that done. So I have hope, but what things give you hope? Well, in the, in the work that we do, the thing that's giving me hope, I guess, because I love this program so much and I think that what we do is so important, mm-hmm. I'm starting to see other programs kind of model what we're doing and Mm -hmm. pop up here and there, which makes me think that some people are paying attention and understand the systemic challenges that are out there. Um, And so I kind of hope that we're moving in that direction and Mm -hmm. that gives me hope. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. I think one of the things that, um, yeah, going along some of those same lines is it's been, I've had a lot of hope around the idea that we have had so much autonomy with this program, with our funders, with Pierce County Human Services, and then now with Beacon, and that they have really let us think outside the box Mm -hmm. and haven't put a ton of parameters around this program and have allowed, um, you know, the county has really allowed us to grow and figure out 
how we best work with this, these populations. Um, and we've changed a lot from 17 to now um, in, in, in some ways mm-hmm. and, and given us the ability to do that. And that, that's given me a lot of hope that people, you know, to see that we um, are allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and also just that the people that work in MSERT, I mean, I, I love it, MSERT so much. Um, I have so much passion for this program as well. And the people that work in this program, they're, they're, they're young and they're just so idealistic and they're so amazing. And they just, they just work so hard mm-hmm. and they do such great work and they just keep coming. You mm-hmm. know, we just, MSERT is one program where we, I mean, we, we, you know, we, we have the staffing shortages like everybody mm-hmm. else, but they're just they're such a passionate crew and they do such hard work. Mm-hmm. And so I just love looking at them and seeing, you know, how, how happy they are when, when things mm-hmm. go well. So it's really great to see that, um, you know, the, these, you know, younger, um, new case managers mm-hmm. and MHP coming into the field and just seeing this incredible passion for this kind of work. Yeah. Getting in truly in the environment where the person lives and meeting them there and saying, I see you, I hear you, and I'm here to help you is such an important aspect of the work and so needed. And I agree, it is so rewarding. Um, And uh, I'm glad that you're able to find people like that, that really see the beauty in that work. And um, I'm very thrilled that it's growing too. Um, one of my great um, opportunities this year is to work with the EMS group crews, several of them. And um, one of our goals was to make sure that they were making MSERT referrals. And I will say every time I talk with them, they have nothing but praise of the teams that they refer to. So that's great. Good work. Yeah, we appreciate your, your partnership and your support. Yeah, absolutely. I have your back and promoting <laughs> I you. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, ladies, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for all you do. And please give give praise to your team for us. We will. For sure. Yeah, thank you. This episode of Elevate Health Podcast was produced by Kim Bjorn, Hannah McCauley, and Robert Marshall Wells. The executive producer was Stephanie K. Wright. Original music was composed by Riley Eggie, and the podcast was engineered and edited by Riley Eggie. Please support the work of Elevate Health by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues and by leaving a rating and review. Please also like, subscribe, or follow Elevate Health Podcasts wherever you are listening so that you will never miss an episode.